This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there and welcome to the weekend edition of the Territory Story Podcast. My name is Peter Gowers. This guy's name is Leon Logan-Nathan. How are you, mate? I'm well, I'm well, ready to go with our uh, annual episode. (laughs) Our annual episode, well, as we do each week, we get somebody from the NT Independent Online Newspaper to come in and talk to us. And this week, we're changing the episode name to Weekends with Woody. How are you, Woody? Good, thank you, Pete. And uh, Leon, thank you very much. I just have to have one, like, really important first conversation with you, though. It's about consent and... (laughs) uh, you know, I heard about being on this podcast by listening to your last podcast. So, um, I just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, then you would have heard, uh, Dave, that um, uh, that of all the episodes that we do uh, with weekends with Walshy, the one that we did with you last year when Walshy went on leave was the um, most listened to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that made me really think about, uh, I did listen to the Raj podcast and when he talked about this bizarro preference system that happened <laughs> where he was more popular but got knocked out, they went from the top to the bottom and I, I feel like that's what happened with this podcast. That I'm more popular than Chris, <laughs> but you knocked me out and gave him my preferences. Oh, it's gosh. all about the content, my friend. Yeah, well, yeah. I am. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, talking about your story about Raj, which will uh, come later on in the podcast. But uh, we want to kick it off. This is uh, by special request from Peter Gowers. The Northern Territory NAPLAN results, uh, which uh, the preliminary re- pre- preliminary results show, years three and five make significant. Yes, that word again. Gains in reading, grammar, and punctuation. Now, Pete, why did you want to speak about that one, given that it's not an anti-independent story? Look, I wanted to talk about it because, um, well, for a number of reasons. Okay, so when when the figures were alerted to me, and I had a look at them, the first and most stunning thing about it, in my opinion, was just how far behind the children of the NT seem to be when you look at the, you know, the percentages of reading, writing, spelling and numeracy particularly uh, throughout years three and five and, and also into year seven. And while the NT government made a song and dance about how wonderful it was that the NT had made gains, the gains were compared with the initial tests in 2008, not with the tests in the years in between. And and what really stood out to me, is, as anyone who has listened to any of these episodes would know, is that for most of last year, I was stuck in Victoria with children at home doing homeschooling. So the, the teachers were certainly supplying the work, but the parents were doing a lot of the assistance and a lot of the teaching. And shock horror, but Victoria actually came out as the leading state in the country, right? And then I thought, gee, it's interesting. We pay a premium to get teachers to the Northern Territory. We pay so much extra. We, we, we make such um, – there's so much talked about in terms of government spending and government wastage, and yet the most important people in our society – and not making the inroads that they should be. So I just thought we, we need to talk about this because it's it affects all of us and something that needs to be discussed. And as I said to Walshy when I talked to him about it, it's sort of in line with the constant wastage that we're so used to in the NT, all this money being poured into these areas, education being one of them. But it doesn't seem that we're getting the results that we should be. Yeah, yeah no. I- I, and I think one of the um, one of the most important things with government or any human being, in fact, is if the, you can't admit that you have a problem, as we see in this NT News article, then how do you ever go about rectifying it anyway if you're unwilling to be actually truthful about what's going on? Yeah, correct. And and one of the um, one of the things that they bizarrely highlighted in the article was the improvement 
that was made in year seven in certain areas, again, comparing it with the original base of 2008. But if you look at the year sevens in comparison with the rest of the country, the drop-off is horrendous from year five to year seven. Yeah. This is this is a very bizarre article, and I will put, you know, we're on a podcast, case, so you can't see me doing air talking, Mark, but <laughs> there is... This is this is just not a, a balanced news article looking at NAPLAN results. This is they've cherry-picked some successful results and, and given no context. Like you can you can there's there are graphs to be to be fair comparing NT against other years, but it doesn't doesn't show you how the NT is comparing against the rest of Australia, which is obviously very important. And there's just like this this spiel from like the education department chief executive, and then there's no other voice in the story. Like there is no competing balancing voice to provide context to this because we know, you know, anyone who's reading that knows that's not the anywhere near the full story about what's going on in education in Northern Territory by any stretch. No one could even dream that is. Hmm. Yeah, and, and the other thing that, um, and I don't know the answer to this, and I guess we can look into it, but I know we, we have, um, you know, regular conversations around uh, Indigenous education and uh, truancy rates and things like that. But presumably these numbers are compared against people who actually took the test. So that that was the more startling thing for me, is that it'd be, it'd be a different story if we knew that 25% of kids didn't turn up, therefore they automatically got written off. But that's that's of those who took the test. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's baffling. I understand this it was the, the front page splash the front page headline on the nt news and it just it shows i don't know this this seemed to be basically hand delivered to them by the northern territory government and there was maybe giving the 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 oh god i was going to say leak but there's some other word where you receive stories of governments and they um mm. and just put it uncritically on the front page and that is not what the territory needs at all like this exclusive is, you mean yeah <laughs> a, a, a drop it just shows how out of the yeah. loop in dealing with government I am, but I don't even know where that is. But they go, here's a here's our story. And I'm saying this is this as the most positive, nicest uh, way that this story could have come about. I'm not going to mm. hint at more sinister things, but <laughs> well, I have just hinted at more sinister things um, <laughs> by not doing it. <laughs> so handing this story to the NT News, going, hey fellas, we'll even provide you with some quotes from the education department. Plug this on the front page blow it up big and we'll show how positive that plan uh, results are. But it's a failure from the territory producing this sort of stuff mm. because, because as I said, like we need context, we need insight, we need transparency, we need to understand as a community what's going on. This offers none of that, which is just mm. disappointing all around. This is a really serious, really, really serious issue. Back in my uh, radio days, Woody, we used to call that the rip and read. And uh, I had a, had a newsreader uh, back in uh, Mudgee days on 2MG, and uh, she literally used to walk up to the fax machine, grab the press releases, and uh, that was the morning's news taken care of. Hi. Yeah, that's classic. I used to work in Shepparton, and we Shepparton News did – uh, April Fool's Day stories very, very well. And they happened to be renovating, digging up the lake at that time. And we splashed with the idea that this like new um, megafauna wombat species had been found. <laughs> and the local radio, commercial radio station was reading this all morning. And then she wanted the journos rang up and said, Guys, that story yeah. is April Fools. But they didn't. They didn't stop reading it. Like it just went till like went through till midday. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, look, let's move uh, through to the second story today and uh, talk about a taxi driver who's been forced into quarantine uh, due to the NT Health, um, where a passenger didn't tell them they had COVID-19. Well, yeah, this is a, an interesting story. And um, like I, I was the one who did this story and I, the taxi driver provided documents to, to um, validate some of his the story, the the major points in showing that he got um, various COVID tests. So, so what he says is that he was asked through 
his boss, he was driving a taxi for someone else to go and pick up this patient to take them to Howard Springs. You know, there are taxi drivers who have signed up, there's protocols, and they have to they go and pick up people and take them to Howard Springs. He says in this case the man had COVID and that he wasn't made aware of that and that he continued to drive after this trip because presumably they keep on driving after these trips and that the next day the health department contacted him and said he had to self-isolate. He said he went and got a COVID test when self-isolated, got a negative COVID test the next day, had like the next following three days health department COVID tested him. Then uh, on the Friday they said you have to go into Howard Springs and he says they gave no indication of why that was. Of course, we put this to the health department, but of course, uh, unfortunately and disappointingly for us and Territorians, they don't provide any information to us, even about vital information in, in a pandemic. So yeah. that's the story. He says he lost out on two weeks' wages. The federal government have a program where they gave him $1,500 um, to cover it. But um, And he said he, he doesn't know whether he's going to get a uh, big charge for the quarantine. So is the COVID-positive patient uh, or passenger the same person that uh, shut Darwin down, or is this another person? So this was in uh, June 27th. This was the first right. lockdown of this year. Yeah. And so this, and I think this is really important to highlight because this, the NT Independent was the only the only outlet that reported on this in a fulsome way or even um, acknowledged this or gave this information that the mine where these there was a, the initial, what you know, apex case or whatever they call them, who who caught um, COVID in the Brisbane quarantine centre and then spread it to the mine. Before he, on the Thursday, he got alerted that he'd been in a hot spot where there was COVID. He got a test, and that test came through at about midnight on Friday. But there was about seventy miners who flew out of that mine before those test results came back in. Two of those guys tested positive COVID soon after. So, so and that in the press conference announcing the lockdown that came on the Sunday, both the chief minister and the police commissioner praised the protocols in that mine, yet none of the rest of the media picked up on the fact to go, hey, what, how did these miners get out of this mine and spread COVID? And it was like they the government took no responsibility for it, but we're only talking about this because COVID was let out of that mine because of failure of protocols in the first place. Um, and the, the Chief Minister said at the press conference that this man had shown symptoms of COVID on the Saturday. So I don't know exactly when he tested positive to COVID, but it was known that he probably had COVID by the time he got in that taxi as well. That's uh, quite alarming, isn't it? Yeah. It's another case... Uh, that is just so perplexing because you had that American that, uh, you know, was in a car all the way to Catherine with someone with apparently the Delta strain and yet nobody else got it. Yeah, I think we should get all conspiratorial, conspiratorial there. <laughs> There's plenty mm. of space for that. Yeah, that's, that's weird. I think I found it weird that COVID didn't spread as much on that case in June either. There was like those miners came out of there. There was people yes. in, in close contact and it, we ended up with, I can't remember, seven, eight, ten, or something like that. Yeah. I think Adelaide copped the brunt of it, didn't they? Yeah. Well, they sort of deserve it really. Yeah, they don't pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, um, moving on to the next one here, mate. Uh, the police superintendent stops COVID-19 fines at a freedom rally claiming non-existent permit. What's that all about? <laughs> yeah, this is one of those situations where Chris Walsh, Chris has been on holidays and uh, I was running the paper and uh, I wrote this story up and he looked at it and I get scolded from him from time to time about how long my articles are, <laughs> even though he writes war and peace sometimes <laughs> himself. But, uh, yeah, I actually happened to be wandering past his rally. Um, well, no, I really am a conspiracy theorist and uh, I was out there. You were there protesting, come on. Yeah. Anyway, I saw this big crowd. I thought, oh, what's going on there? And I, I went and saw it. And um, and then I 
I thought these people are not social distancing and these people are not wearing masks. And, and we didn't do anything about it because, you know, there was other things on at the time. And then we got uh, this well-placed source who said the superintendent who was the officer in charge at that rally had told the organisers that the Northern Land Council had, sorry, I'll take that back. He told the other officers that the organisers had got a permit from the Northern Land Council and they were free to hold that rally and that was the reason why he wasn't giving out um, any fines from us. Uh, about four days, three days before that, the police commissioner had fronted a press conference and sort of quite proudly, I think you talked about this in the last podcast about uh, finding people sitting by a pool drinking beers who refused to <laughs> wear masks $5,000. Yeah. And he made that little dad joke about it not being exercised, which is <laughs> always good in a police commissioner. But the thing that, uh, you know, personally gave me a little bit of anxiety or, you know, frustration is that the NT News reported on this after this rally, maybe the same day that the police put out a statement saying essentially that generally everyone adhered to the social distancing or mask protocols. And I just, that, that's, that, that's not true. I was there. That, that did not exist. Mm. And to, to think that they would lie like that when there was television cameras there for the TV news, there was, you know, you know, everyone films everything these days. This, this footage was going everywhere. Um, and to tell them this truth like that, that was really, I, I thought, really poor form. And I'm not a police officer, so I'd, we saw what happened in Melbourne and, and what is the right way to go about um, dealing with a crowd like this without riling people up, and I'm not going to make a judgment about that. We simply did this story because of um, the fact that the officers who wanted to find people were told that the NLC had granted a permit. The NLC are not allowed to grant permits <laughs> Um, they they grant permits to access on Aboriginal land. The Rain Tree Park in Darwin is yeah, not Aboriginal doesn't land. Doesn't count. Yeah, yeah. And Darwin yeah. Darwin City Council refused these guys a permit on the basis that there was a COVID risk, and they didn't think they would social distance properly. Um, and that's the situation we found ourselves in. Well, if it's a freedom rally, presumably they're um, conspiracy theorists amongst that crowd anyway. So they're not going to socially distance and they're not going to wear masks. Yeah, I, there, was a, there was a range of people apparently. Some people okay. believed in masks. You, you could see some people with masks on. Patches. Yeah, there was, it, was very, it was very patchy. But um, <laughs> my favourite part, and this is probably where Chris like, would get uh, shitty at me normally, but um, I gave a, a, what I say brief, but it ended up not being brief, rundown of what was covered in one of the speeches in that rally um, would you indulge me with a little bit of what was said on that to give yes, you a, a flavour? The article is so long. I mean, it's just it, it reads like War and Peace here, Dave. Yeah, I was I was going to just. <laughs> Leon publish. much prefers to be, be read his stories anyway, so that'd be good. Yeah. Do you want me to put on a little like lullaby voice? <laughs> um, I, I yeah, I was going to publish it in chapters, but obviously. Um, <laughs> Like a serial. <laughs> yeah, serialize my freedom rally story. <laughs> so I don't really know. Like, I I have so many favourites in this, and I I feel bad about I'm going to miss out on some of this. But um, David Cole, who was one of the speakers or the main speaker, he spoke for about 25 minutes and 15 minutes. There was a negotiation with the police as well before the rally started. So I'll just read you what he said about COVID, and we won't go into how the crown. Uh, left Australia and how the, the how the Northern Territory government is registered a registered company in the Vatican. We'll leave that for another time. <laughs> but <laughs> even though, re- like, like if we are really independent media, we really should be investigating that. Um, so he said, "There's no killer virus. Coronavirus singular has been around for more than 100 years, but it's just a mild version of the flu. Coronavirus is seasonal, follows a six to month, nine month cycle, and will fade." COVID did, does not exist. COVID was developed in US laboratory and released in China as a bioweapon. COVID-19 is a mythical virus. It's a fake pandemic. There is no pandemic. That COVID can be cured with sunlight. COVID can be killed with vitamin D. The normal vitamin D levels reduce COVID hospitalizations by 90% according to, and get this, World Health Organization's 
data based on scientific fact. <laughs> As opposed <laughs> to scientific yeah. fiction. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Scientific <laughs> fact and stuff. COVID can be killed with ivermectin 99% of the time. We all know the results of that. I used to drench our <laughs> dairy cows with ivermectin um, and they never got COVID. Uh, <laughs> the, the federal government by law cannot approve vaccines. <laughs> Face masks increase carbon dioxide them to levels 9,000 times higher than the safe levels of humans. Nasal swabs used by COVID-19 tests are sterilised with a chemical that poisons people and the government are hiding deaths from vaccines. Okay, so just on that, two things. COVID-19 doesn't exist and COVID-19 was released in China as a bioweapon. So hang on, that's it all I, to itself. I agree with both points. <laughs> and I have evidence. I've done my research. <laughs> the one thing, on the one thing that was missing from this story is that COVID-19 came from a, a comet. Or a, or a meteorite. Oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. Oh, that's, and that is that's science. Your, that's your academic friend, isn't it? Yeah. We've, uh, Correct. I, that was, uh, I have to say that was one of the most interesting conversations I've ever had with an academic. Uh, I Googled that after that podcast to see what he was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> was it interesting okay. and troubling, Leon? Oh, it was troubling. I, I, have to, I have to admit that. Oh, well, anyway, it sounds like uh, this guy might have voted for Raj Rajwin then. Um, he should be running himself. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be overqualified. Now, speaking of which, uh, let's turn to uh, some government chatter now. Uh, Natasha Files has said that the public expects the Turf Club to pay back the $12 million from the grandstand, uh, but she won't commit to enforcing it. I, I, tr I truly deeply love politicians sometimes. Yeah. It's <laughs> she said the scene on Katie Wolf on Friday, they have the, the week that was and they oh, normally yes. have Natasha Files and they have Flair Pinocchio and it's normally like some fight to the death with hammers and they have Matt Cunningham from Sky or they have Kezia. I think Kezia was on as well. But um, Matt Cunningham was driving this and said, well, what are you, are you still planning to get the um, – get the money back from the turf club because after the ICAC report came out, which I think was June 25, Michael Gunner held a press conference pretty much before uh, any of the journalists could actually absorb this sort of stuff. And he, <laughs> he came out really strong and he's, and two of his uh, major responses in that, that uh, had some of the, some of the stuff that already taken action on after it was revealed through a freedom of information request about uh, his former chief of staff, Alf Leonardi's involvement in the whole thing. But um, he said that the, the board had to go and if they didn't go, they, he would change the legislation, change the, admin, uh, the Associations Act so that he could. And he backed down from that on August 8th. And the other thing he said is they're going to pay it back or um, through a multi-years reduction in their, their funding um, there was also a third thing that I only remembered when I went back and wrote, read my original story, but he said they were going to take, they would investigate taking legal action against private entities or people who had benefited from conflicts of interest, which was pretty much um, directed at, at JTEX and Brett Dixon. And there's been no word about that since. But interesting on this point of paying the money back, I think it was in the week leading up to files being on radio that um, Mr. Gunner had told NT News that, yeah, they were definitely following through. Oh, yeah, it was on the Wednesday that they were definitely going to follow through to recoup the money and restore public confidence. But when it was put to Natasha Files by... Matt Cunningham, are you still seeking to do it? She said, yeah, well, there is a public expectation that we're going to do that, that that's what, that they should pay the money back. But, 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 um, um, yeah, and then she said, we're going to talk to the Turf Club first, you know, because we'll just see how they feel about it all. And in, Oh, my God. <laughs> really? Is that what she said? She said I we're going to talk to the Turf to Club that. first. So she, they definitely became so Leah would back, have jumped all over that. Hey, sorry, Leah. Leah would have jumped all over that. Yeah, she wasn't happy. Oh no, see, Leah supports. <clears throat> doesn't think the money should be paid back. Yeah, there's Why Kizia. 
Uh, because the, it was the government's fault in the first place and that you shouldn't be clawing money back. Fault. It's, right. it's yeah. just building in some insurance for the future. My favourite uh, part about all this, and I, I, don't, I didn't put it in here, but it's the surrealism of what goes through politicians' minds sometimes. Kezia Purek, the, um, you know, the former speaker and mm, independent for... What is it? <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, I wouldn't do that. I, I, I don't, I'm not like Chris Walsh, so I don't know. Um, Treat people like that. Um, well, not on podcasts anyway. Anyway, she she made she drew this terrible comparison, saying, "I don't agree with paying them having to pay money back because it sets a dangerous precedent. Because what if like Friends Past Show Society, the government didn't like what they were doing with the money, and then they demanded the money back? I'm thinking, Kezia, when Friends Past Show, if they ever were investigated by ICAC and found to be corrupt." Maybe they should give some of that money back. I don't know, but it was a terrible, it was a terrible comparison. To draw. Did it sound like she knew something and let the cat out of the bag? <laughs> I, I, I couldn't comment on that, Pete, <laughs> at all. Okay. Um, but anyway, and the other thing I think we need to highlight in this is that because the government keeps on saying that they haven't, you know, the ICAC found no, no wrongdoing on any minister's part, but we all know that. ICAC, the legislation won't allow, allow the um, the investigation of what happens in that uh, cabinet and confidence period. So he couldn't investigate the actual dis- the process. But he described the, the actual document that the decision was made on. Oh God, I, you know, it, it was basically a it was a basically a, a worthless document. You know, that there was no decision of allocation of a twelve million dollar grant should ever be made. On the mm. basis of it, deeply flawed. With the process is deeply flawed. The document they relied on gave vague details, inflated, inaccurate, and absent economic and employment claims. So, like, let's not ever forget that the the government made the funding decision based on that document within what within 24 hours of it of it being produced yeah. at the very least. And the other thing they did is when JTEX won the contract to were awarded the contract. When were the ministers there saying this is wrong? What, we shouldn't do that. At least one of the board members, when JTEX, you know, when it was recommended JTEX win the contract, at least they said, oh, this is going to end up in ICAC. At least they had the good sense to say that before they voted to allow him to give him the contract. But where were the ministers when, if it was that obvious to a board member, how was it not that obvious to ministers and why didn't they say something at the time? I just think we can't say that enough. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it's sort of been one of those things that, you know, we've heard the chief minister and, and others sort of shout from the rafters several times about, oh, no minister was found to be corrupt or complicit or whatever in this process. You know, I don't know if I'm using the right words. But the fact is they weren't investigated and they couldn't be because of the situation. It's not yeah. that they weren't found to be anything. They, they couldn't make any comment on it because they d- didn't have access to the documents. Yeah, it's it's, it's like you, I could say I haven't been found guilty of corruption. Everyone knows I am corrupt. It's just that <laughs> no one is investigated me for corruption. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. good idea for dubbing yourself in. Oh, well, I like to be open and transparent. I read the uh, Ghana government's document when they came into power and <laughs> I decided to take that on board. Another really interesting point that doesn't get reported at all is that all the funding goes through Thoroughbred Racing NT and is then by that board distributed to the racing clubs. And from what we can tell, the government obviously doesn't answer our questions, but how then does the government go and enforce how Thoroughbred Racing NT allocates that money? Like, mm. and is it exactly is it, is it good that they they would intervene like that anyway? So maybe they just don't allocate it, like don't take the money off Darwin Turf Club because. I don't know the makeup of the board now, but I'm pretty sure there was more Darwin Turf Club board members on Thoroughbred Racing NT. So, you know, you're stacked in your favour of getting mm. coin. Mm. Oh, but as we said yeah. a few weeks ago, though, Woody, the the thing for me, and I'm I'm not a I'm not a horse lover, I'm not a horse hater, you know, and I realise it's a it's an industry that a lot of people have a lot of interest in, but to to now reduce the funding, that it's like it's like blaming the wrong people for it, you know, taking the money from the wrong area. Yeah. yeah. So you're like horse Switzerland, really. I'm horse um, Switzerland pretty much, yeah. 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 Well, well, 
the problem of life is that people make bad decisions and the actual people who are, you know, the, the punters who are members of the Darwin Turf Club are the people yeah. who presumably pay the price for it. And That's right, yeah. Yeah. Impo- right, uh, yeah. Let's. Importantly, though, um, you know, at no stage did the government blame the horses, and I think that's really important to mention. Yeah, exactly. And no horses were harmed in the making of this ICAC document. Well, they probably were. Maybe some of the glue. <laughs> right. Well, let's leave that one there. I'm sure it'll just keep sitting there and, you know, like a turd in the, in the corner of a room. Um <laughs> We've got yeah. uh, three very high-powered ladies here, uh, Leah Finocchiaro, Robin Lamley, and Kezia Purick, uh, quite upset about the fact that the government cancelled three sitting days last month and have no intention whatsoever of reinstating those days. Yeah, I can, I can tell they're upset by the stern look on their faces in that beautiful photo where they're holding up this giant oversized piece of paper like it's a, a check presentation in a community <laughs> newspaper. <laughs> the, NT, the NT independence not really strong in photography but yeah actually um the opposition leader Leah Finocchiari has been really vocal on this and she hasn't given up on this in that uh, during the COVID lockdown um we all find ways of course to continue our jobs via zoom or something like that, but the government shut down the three sitting days that was were being held on during the lockdown, and and the response was, oh, you know, if we ever feel the need or, you know, if we've got nothing to do for a couple of days, we'll, we might reschedule that. And quite rightly, the opposition is pointing out that it's it's really it's anti-democratic, and this is, this is a real problem with this government about... Um, not valuing or respecting some of the pillars of our democracy. And one is not, it's not just the business of the, of the government to, to bring in bills. And it looks like in this case, they actually don't, they don't have enough legislation to keep us busy. But um, it's, it's um, the opposition's chance to have like a public debate and public accountability of the government of the day as well. And for people like Robin Lamley, it's a, it's one of our only chances to like really publicly go into bat and represent the members of her, her electorate. Yeah, it is quite disturbing, isn't it? I mean, I mean, if if you're not there for sitting days, then what the heck are you there for? Yeah, there's a real arrogance to it um, as well. Uh, just the fact that you can just make these decisions and then come up with like the most, I don't know. I think the perfect word for it is crappy excuses about mm. why you're not going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, you make a very actually... good point. You make a very good point there, David. And I actually had this conversation with Rebecca Jennings, mm. um, who we had on the podcast uh, the other day, um, because I feel that both parties in government just abuse their power. You know, because we live in a unicameral uh, government, uh, well, uh, parliament, which means, you know, we've only got one one house. There's no Senate, thank God. Um, <laughs> n- n- not because I don't think we should have checks and balances, but because I don't think we should have any more politicians than we already have. But um, so like Queensland, Northern Territory, just, you know, you make laws and, and then that's it. You know, if you've got the numbers in, in, uh, in parliament, that's it. Unlike the federal government and every other state and territory, uh, every other state, I should say, you know, you've got a, the lower house and then you've got the Senate. So here, people just make laws and or, or, or decide things and there's just no checks and balances. The only checks and balances that you have are conventions. And it seems that, uh, you know, at least this current Labor government is quite happy to throw convention out the window. Uh, and if you study constitutional law, you will learn that conventions are what keeps institutions together. It's like you're talking about the glue just now, Pete. This is the glue mm-hmm. that keeps everything together. Yeah. And that's exactly the reason why I was at that freedom rally on the weekend. Let's smash this state. <laughs> 
So it's, it's a really serious thing. Like I'm, we've sat around for um, the last eighteen months at the at the independent, and just seen seen things deteriorate in a really horrible way. And I guess you you become a little bit numb to it, but like this the scrutiny committee and that, and you know, blocking us from being. Um, press conference and and i wish i had more coming to mind but they just they just continue to roll on and and there is a lack of um pet laws <laughs> pet laws there's there's just a lack of sc- scrutiny by the media as well and and so they can basically they've been emboldened enough to not even bother coming up with reasons why they do things that are like reasonable anymore and half the time they don't even get asked about it because no one thinks to do it. Yeah. Hey, what's the um, what's the minimum amount of days they're allowed to sit for? And will this drop them below that? Oh, I don't know the the rules around that. Do you want me to make some up? Yes, they are going to drop <laughs> below that, and they're going to be kicked out. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Because I think there is, and from what I understand, they they've always opted for fairly close to the the uh, least amount anyway. This current <laughs> government. No, you know, to be fair, like if I was Czech Minister, I'd probably do that going, yeah, well, yeah, I'll just work half a day that day or something, you know. Yeah, yeah, fly home early. Yeah. All right, well, look, uh, we'll stick with politics, but we'll move to um, council now. And uh, Con Vatskalis is safe as the Lord Mayor, but he may have to face nemesis Amy Un as an alderman. Yeah, let's get on to the superfluous level of government now. And, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, con, landslide, go together those two. Yeah, he's got uh, 16,800 first preference votes out of 30,000 um, so far, and no one else has got 4,000 yet. So he's uh, home and hose, and we were talking about the NT News said it was the first time in, in 20 years that a, a, a Lord Mayor has been returned he's a he's certainly a vibrant charismatic human being i don't think you could uh, accuse him of um not being entertaining and also yeah, he's a bit of a can-do type of bloke as well like as in his other old men do acknowledge that he works really hard and, and gets things done mm. i was a little bit uh, perturbed when i read the nt news story about it saying that he was flying to sydney to meet with developers to to, for investors for a laminary baths and i'm thinking wow like wh- why is he meeting with private investors to for a development on uh, a council land but anyway that might just be me but uh, you know what i'm really surprised about david yeah. uh, both with the palmerston and the darwin elections the contest for the lord mayor uh, outside of the incumbents there were no aldermen. Uh, sorry, you had Gary Hazlitt running, of course. I forgot about that. But there just, there just didn't seem to be much of a challenge. Yeah. Well, people were only in it for the robes, Leon. Um, <laughs> no, like, uh, to, 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 to not be unfair to the people, say, in Darwin who were running against the Lord Mayor, there was no really serious, serious challenge to combat Scarlet's like, um, I mean, people have their hearts in their right place in running, but yeah, there was no real alternative. Con got 16,000 votes, so let's not say I, in my personal opinion, I don't think, oh, well, Con, people think Con is the greatest Lord Mayor in the world, but who else are you going to vote for? Uh, you know, a lot of, a few of those people, I didn't even know who they were. Mm. But the the interesting thing is, uh, Amy Un is, uh, they've just updated the seat of Lions today and she's crept ahead to be in third spot <laughs> out of his three spots in Lions. And Amy Yun, who's recently been made famous by Al Jazeera in a little mini documentary, if you haven't seen that. No. Uh, yeah, yeah. Check it out. It's easy yeah. to find. <laughs> she's gone uh, Middle East. Yeah, she's she's jumped 30 votes. She's jumped t- 32 votes above the th- fourth place person. Obviously, there's preferences to count but um yeah and the the really interesting thing is uh jimmy cocking in alice springs who is in the merrill race there and is leading by 2900 to 2300 or something like that obviously there's a lot of preferences to be distributed 
by there. But he's a, you know, on the political spectrum, he's a he's a big departure from the last Lord Mayor, and he's not he's not a conservative. He works for the like Larid Arid Lands Environmental Boardy thing. So yeah, that's a very interesting man to be out front of the Alice Springs Lord Merrill race. Yes, because I mean, you had a Lord Mayor there that was there for ages, wasn't it, Damien Ryan? Yeah, he's there for like six or seven hundred years, from my understanding. <laughs> uh, no, I, I can't. Remember. He was there for a, like I was going to say fifteen years or so. It was a long time. Mm. There's a guy running who sort of sounds like Black Adder, well, Blacker. But anyway, <laughs> we should, you know, I should have pulled out all the funniest names and just written the story. But anyway, it'd be entertaining nonetheless if Black Adder turned up. Yeah, well, and, well, I wish you had a run for Darwin, Lord Mayor. And, and what about uh, what about Litchfield? Because they've had some trouble from time to time with with Lord Mayors, haven't they? <laughs> I think Litchfield Council has had a few few issues, and I think maybe Litchfield Council is having a few issues right now. If you believe the scuttlebutt and the rumor, um, yeah, we, we've had people come to us to, to with um, with really large issues. Um, serious allegations about um, some things are going on there. We can't obviously say too much about it, but we're, we're going to be investigating that. Yeah, so Maria Bredhauer's 2100. I, you know, Litchfield's just a mystery to me. I, it, uh, I'm not sure they do they what sort of la- what language do they speak in? <laughs> anyway, he's uh, she's um, beating out a guy called. Doug Barden, and I know the NT News has done a bit on him, but uh, and the next there's Andrew McKay or Mackay at 1,500 votes. So, I mean, that, that one's still really close. There's, what, 300 votes in it with lots of lots of preferences to be distributed there. So I'm just going to bluff over the fact that I have no idea what's going on in this field, and I, those names are just mysteries to me except for Trevor Jenkins. There are some pretty good numbers there you mentioned, though. I didn't know there was yeah, that no. many people there. Well, I think people get to vote twice. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> and uh, poor old Gary Hazlitt only has ended up with five hundred ninety-two votes. Yeah, he's he's uh, about bowed. He's uh, gone goodbye. Yeah, that uh, I don't know how long Gary's been uh, an alderman for, but I, I would suspect a, a reasonable amount of time. And yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to say at least two terms. Yeah, there's um there's some other interesting names. Uh, Vin Sharma, who's Coming third in in Richardson Ward, and he is a former, like oh, he's a former supermarket, small supermarket owner in uh, Wanguri, I think. But he's also worked on the fifth floor for Labor as well. Um, the other, well, I would say highly contentious thing that happened in this election, and it's upset a few people that I've spoken to, and is sort of another erosion of the. The, the role of the chief minister is that the chief minister actually endorsed Ed Schmelt. And I don't know Ed Schmelt, but on the basis of his names, having we been Ed talking Schmelt. about names, yeah, I'm not sure I could vote for Ed Schmelt based on his name. But anyway, the chief <laughs> Sounds minister. Sounds like a sandwich, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> a cheese <laughs> Schmelt. Ed, cheese and ham and tomato Schmelt. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad I've taken the intellectual properties of this podcast <laughs> high. But anyway, Ed Schmelt is, um got... Uh, an endorsement on Facebook. That's very, very new wow. age, isn't it, to do wow. that? So, and is it though? I don't know. I mean, is it unusual for uh, uh, large parties to endorse? I don't know. Cars? Could you think of Gladys in New South Wales endorsing some candidate in a New South Wales election? Like, I, I don't think it's it's against the the law but, or anything. But for but some of them, it's a bit of a training ground, isn't it, for uh, state politics? Yeah, I oh, think yeah, that's yeah. I think that's the case in Queensland. Certainly, the um, the the Lord Mayor in Queensland uh, in Brisbane was uh, almost the most powerful person in Brisbane back in the day, and and often they'd find that who was the fellow that Campbell he, Newman. Yeah, yeah. Often they'd find themselves in state politics after having been in that. But I'm not sure the rest of the country is is quite mm, the same. I, I think don't Victoria do it in 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 Melbourne? They do have a Lord Mayor. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it tends to be the other way, but, but a bit like those, Con. Some of those inner-city Melbourne I know, they run on um, party platforms. They don't do True. it in the territory, and I think that's a really good thing. They don't do it in the territory, but they do it, you know, more secretly. So the Red Shirts were out campaigning for Ed Schmelt and a few other people. I've got, like, my personal opinion is, like, you're the chief minister. Um, it seems like that you're 
distorting somehow in an, another level of government, like the free-flowing election of another level of government. I, yeah. I, 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 it didn't sit comfortable with me. Like, it, it felt weird. It felt like an imposition into the democratic process of, of council and also felt like, is this something a chief minister should be doing? He should be staying out of it. A bit like federal and, and, and state politics, you're saying. Yeah, like, I don't know. It just felt weird. But there was a woman, um, Sally Guerin, who was the first woman appointed to the bar in the Northern Territory. I think I got that right. She was actually running in the um, in that Chan seat as well. And I have full disclosure, she has written a, a couple of opinion pieces for her, and I have met her once. But uh, she like seemed like a really uh, intelligent, passionate woman. And I'm not saying Ed Schmelt doesn't deserve to win his seat, but now there is 100 130 votes between those two candidates. And if the influence of the chief minister meant that she didn't get in, um, I don't know, I'd feel a bit peeved if I was her. Mm. Yeah, the only thing about that is, um, and I'm sure he'll never verify it one way or the other, but um, I'm not sure that he actually controls his own uh, Facebook uh, account anyway, so it could easily be easily have been a staffer that did that. And, uh, he's he's um, got a new st- a new staffer this week controlling his uh, brand new off the boat from Sydney or Canberra really? or somewhere. Yeah, right. Well, so we should look forward to some really relevant content there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, COVID-19 well, updates. Well, um, I have to say, though, um, as, a, as a proud Palmerston resident, <laughs> I, was, I was chuffed. Speaking of inappropriate endorsements. To see. Uh, what's, he, what's he trying to sell us? <laughs> to see that uh, Mayor Athena Pascoe-Bell, who in my opinion is one of the uh, one of the best mayors I've ever seen uh, in action, just quietly goes about getting things done. And uh, she was returned. Have you got the numbers there, David? But last time I looked, it was at least 70% of the first uh, – First preference votes. Yeah, of course I've got the numbers there. Like, I'm not an idiot. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, I am a little bit. But uh, Athena has 9,300 votes out of uh, 13,000, 12,500. Um, so P- Brian Peterson, Pettifer, sorry, is 1,800. And Raj, Raj Rajitson has got 13. Actually, is that wrong? I just said that about his name. Is that 13 name. votes or 1,300? Sorry. Sorry, I'm, I'm quite an idiot. It's 1,321. So there's 500 between him and Ryan Pettifer and then uh, around about 7,500. Um, Athena, yeah, she seems like an incredibly popular uh, person. Obviously, the, the Palmerston Council went through its own um, terrible period and – Yes. I, know, I, I haven't had that much to do with her, but she seems such a stable, intelligent, calm, rational, yep. all those things that you don't normally encounter in politics. Um, independent. Uh, she works mm. with uh, either side of politics. She's done really well with Labor in government. Um, she works with the CLP in opposition. I mean, she just she just goes about business and, and gets it done, you know. And, and the great thing about her is there's no grand, you know, grandstanding or fanfare. And, you know, Ryan Pettiford came on the podcast and was saying, well, you know, she doesn't have a lot of charisma. And I thought to myself, mate, if that's the only reason why you're running against her, then you must be, you know, special. Yeah. I also, I also noted, listen, when he said that, um, that Ian Abbott had lost weight so he wouldn't have been a good a politician anymore. <laughs> he seemed to like very big, bulk, bulky people. Um, I don't know, maybe they should submit their stature, their height and their weight if, as part of the um, put put that on the Electoral Commission or something so people can make a judgment about how big and solid they are. I think I that would know. be helpful because I'm going to, from now on, I'm going to vote we'll vote on the basis of weight, I think. Okay. Well, on that score, let's, let's end this uh, podcast with the final story, which is the one that I've been hanging up to talk to you about. <laughs> Um, for a number of reasons, um, <sighs> Raj Rajwin's claim he was pre-selected by CLP for the 2016 election is wrong, says the CLP. Now, can you talk to us about that? And uh, and uh, look, I have to say, I think what, how long have we uh, known you guys for quite a while? 
this is the first time that I can recall, and it may, there may have been on other occasions, but I can't recall, that you've actually quoted this podcast in your story. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Jeepers, I'd get that checked by the legals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just going, my God, what's going on here? Um, now, who could say anything negative about a man wearing a hat like that? But um, he uh, – now, Raj, Raj, obviously he was on your podcast going back a few weeks ago when you were – you'd given Athena a run and then you gave him and Brian a bit of a run and uh, you were <laughs> – you were tr- you spent a lot of time like it was a uh, it was like precision surgery um, trying to dissect uh, how Raj ended up being not a doctor anymore. But that's not what we're focusing on now. We're focusing on how he said that he had been pre-selected for the CLP in Wangari in 2016, and his direct words were, "I was working in India as an ICU doctor, and somehow I got pre-selected." to run as a member of parliament representing one of the major political parties. It was actually the CLP. I was the chair of the CLP. I was the branch chair, actually. I shouldn't call it the chair. And I came back and I was not a citizen and they never thought I was not a citizen, but I got my citizenship very quickly just after the election, but I couldn't stand. So I listened to that and thought, wow, I wonder if Raj really did get pre-selected and that's really unfair of me to think that but uh i contacted the clp after that and uh, they said well no no i don't i don't remember ever that and then the 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 then vice president of the clp uh daniel davis went back and said look i i went through the notes from the selection am i using the right term the selection committee and no raj was not pre-selected at all he Okay, so it was the minutes of the CLP management committee meetings. Raj went through the pre-selection process with his branch but failed to provide a criminal history check or evidence of citizenship. They said he did not, they did the reprocess because Raj had been the only candidate for Wangori and obviously he couldn't come up with those or they, they say he couldn't come up with that and they pre-selected Steve Doherty at a management meeting in, in March after that. Um, yes, so... I spoke to Raj today, which was probably going to be the highlight of my week. And uh, <laughs> actually, the, 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 the quotes in his story are in no way in the order that he that they came out of his mouth, just to be clear. I had to go back and base, reorder them because it was all over the shop and I came up, this was the most coherent way for a reader to take this information in. So... And I will preface this. I spoke to Gary Hazlitt because Raj said, Gary Hazlitt, I was working in India. Gary Hazlitt called me up and said, we need someone from Wanguri for Wanguri and you're the man. So I went to Gary Hazlitt and said, oh, I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember saying that. But I do remember you know, interviewing him for, over Skype as a part of the pre-selection. And he did say, look, Raj has difficulties with English and sometimes he does not express himself clearly. Now, my experience with talking to Raj today was when Raj really wanted to express himself clearly, Raj could express himself clearly. So um, he told me that not not only that Gary Hassler had called him up, he said, when I put my hand up, I sent an application because he was still in India. In the first round, I was pre-selected. I did an interview on Skype with the selection panel. Apparently, they said I was selected, and in the Milner office, they asked my, what my citizenship status was. By chance, they found out I was not a citizen. While not being a citizen, I was working in ICU as a doctor in India. I forwarded the application, and the one letter which says I was not a citizen did not reach them. I said if I was pre-selected, I had applied to be a citizen in 2008 or nine. but didn't turn up to the citizenship ceremony, so I could easily get my citizenship. And he said, they're holding the seat for me. Obviously, they couldn't declare that because I'm not a citizen. And he said he provided a background, criminal background check. Now, I said, Raj, um, well, you know, it it was an interesting conversation, let's just say that. But um, I said, Raj, you clearly said that you were pre-selected. And then there's bits that are not in the story. He said, well, you know, in a court of law, yes, you would. If you're in a court of law, yes, you would say that I wasn't pre-selected in the 
And then he went on with some other stuff, and I'm just going, oh, that's just too much for me to deal with. But anyway, that's uh, that's there. He well, did he did basically admit he, he maintains that all the documents were there, and you know everything was was great. David, um, I know. I, well, first of all, thank you for for doing that story because I just didn't want to be the only person uh, to have gone after him with a fine tooth comb. Um, I just find his conduct deplorable, to be quite honest with you. For someone who says he's a doctor, I am just utterly aghast at the way he conducts himself uh, in, in the way he's answered these questions. It's just appalling and it makes me really, really worried about um, how people like him, and I hope he's the only one, that are coming here from overseas, trained as doctors, and can't express themselves. Yeah, you know, I mean, I mean, I, I want to know how he managed to uh, to work as a doctor in Alice Springs, because yeah. I wouldn't go and see him, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't want anyone to go and see him. Quite frankly, it's. How how could you when when someone can't even express themselves in a way that you know that you think would be a bare minimum to dispense medicine? Yeah, it's an interesting point, and uh, there's obviously a lot of conjecture over uh, Raj's medical qualifications he's obviously worked as a doctor in australia and he's linkedin says uh, he's worked in alice springs we know that and he says he's worked in melbourne and tasmania for some reason he seems to have, have qualified as a nurse at, at some point in the last couple of years as well but we're uh, we're looking into things i can't obviously say too much it's uh it, it's something at, like i think you did a a stellar job in trying to extract uh, information, which was was pretty basic question. Why aren't you, why aren't you practicing a doctor anymore? Um, and obviously, it was a tortured exchange between you and Raj, and he never, you never got to the bottom of why his convoluted reasons why he was not a doctor, even though he was, you know, the only had some of the only he was the only person qualified with particular qualifications in the territory. So. Now, in the world at one stage, I think. <laughs> well, I think it was in the universe, actually. I think um, <laughs> he might be Donald Trump's personal physician by the sounds of it. Um, he's probably injecting people with ivermectin right now. Um, I I take that back. Um, no, no, he's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, there's, there's, serious, there's serious questions and people obviously are very uh, perplexed about the answer to that and it's been I do remember before the election last year he rang me up and said I want to explain my qualifications and because people and I've just gone no Raj I just don't have time for that right now but mm. and because people didn't take him seriously he was this perpetual candidate who popped up in every everything like I think he ran in he's running in Palmerston when he lives in Milner he ran in the Darwin Council he ran there's several stint attempts I don't know, has he, has he run an independent at, at, at elections, territory elections? Um, but now it is getting serious because he is 1,156 votes, which 50% of the vote counted. So he's 20 votes behind the fourth place, Amber Garden, talking about great names, and 400 votes, 50 votes ahead of the sixth place candidate. And there are seven spots, apartments and aldermen. So th there's a lot of preferences distributed, but, you know, he's in the running to to have a seat at uh, council. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. That's the worrying fact, isn't it, that, you know, there's a 1,000-plus people who've voted. So are they dummy votes thinking, oh, well, I know this bloke can't win, so I'll just vote for him anyway? Or are there people that genuinely think, no, this is my guy? No, there's some, there was some guy called Owen Pike who put it on some Facebook page, you should vote for him. That's a problem. Know, yeah. And I think, uh, I think Leon voted a couple of times for him as well. So. Uh, well, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, right, a thousand votes, a thousand votes are just, you know, to me, low information voters or just plain anarchists. 
because I can't understand why on earth you would do that if you knew anything about this guy. Yeah. I mean, if you wanted to protest votes, surely you'd vote for Amber Garden based on her name. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think he's, has he got more votes than Ben Geiserke? Yeah, yeah, he's got like 50 more. I can't understand that. I'm glad you pronounced that name, actually. (laughs) Just, it's just, I, I, I get dismayed because, you know, like I guess like many other people in Palace, and I didn't really give a toss about local government elections until we had a local government that was so dysfunctional that we all ended up with, you know, significant pay uh, rates rises uh, and then we find out that the government uh, the, the local government has signed up to um, a deal uh, in, in in building a, a multi-story car park that we didn't need yeah it should have turned it into a water park well, um, one of those yeah, we could have two An uh, yeah <laughs> yeah it is a it, I heard you say that before as well, and it's really easy to to dismiss local councils as well. But I mean, they still have a, a they can potentially still have a re- relatively large say in in your life as well, as you pointed out with those rate increases for that as well. Um, yeah, and then that's when I realised, you know what, I need to take this seriously because clearly, if you don't, uh, you could find yourselves in a situation where you just have a completely dysfunctional council. So I'm glad I did. Um, look, at the end of the day, even if Raj gets up there, well, good luck to him if he can sway the council. I doubt that's going to happen. But uh, just putting aside the whole council thing, just the person, the character, the inability to, or the refusal to answer simple questions for someone who is in a profession that is held in high regard is deeply troubling to me. I thought Woody knocked it on the head before, though, because, um, yes. you know, you got one tonight, mate. Congratulations. But, you know, it was one this bit, year. Yeah, that's it. I, I was sitting back uh, eating popcorn, watching this thing uh, uh, unfold. And the thing for me that seemed evident, that was just my personal opinion, is what you said earlier. When it was an easy enough question or one where there wasn't a troubled response, the, the, the English was fine. But as soon as it became a bit curly, it was just – it was all over the shop. And it, it appeared from my point of view intentional, but, you know, who's to say? He's not the only one in local council in Northern Territory that does that. <laughs> um, actually, I'm going to uh, – He didn't have anybody descend from the heavens to speak <laughs> to him, though. I'm going to start referring to myself as Dr. Wood and then refuse to answer why I'm not practising medicine. <laughs> no, I prefer journalism because it's really fulfilling. <laughs> Yes. Well, Dr. Wood, it's been uh, <laughs> great to have you on the podcast. I guess we'll look, we'll look forward to having you back on next year. Um, so based on our calculations, uh, Chris Walsh must take one week leave a year. Is that how it works? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. With a week dog, I don't know why he needs to take a week a year. But anyway, he does take a week <laughs> a year, I think. And just so you don't feel too bad, Woody, he scolds us as well from time to yeah, time. Yeah, well. <laughs> well, we all know. Uh, yeah, we all know the system is corrupt, and they'll, you know, I might get a chance next year. I may not get a chance next year, but you know, maybe I'll get better offers. Who knows? Well, we appreciate <laughs> the work that you do. Uh, I know from time to time it's been quite contentious, and you know, there's a lot of saber rattling going on. But I, as I say to Chris every week, as and to Peter, as long as you've got the facts and you can mm. back them up. That's all you need. Yeah, don't give me too much credit. I come off the bench occasionally to do a little bit of work. <laughs> you know, really, Chris Walsh is like uh, he is the machine who, uh, like that. He really he the amount of work he does, and you're right. Like he has taken another week or two earlier this year when the paper shut down. But his ability to uh, to produce the volume of quality stories, yes, um, and the quality stories. If you compare the quality of Chris Walsh's reporting over the last 18 months with, I would say, I wouldn't just say any other reporter in the Territory, I would say any other media outlet, Chris Walsh versus another media outlet, his output of quality stories has been far above any of the other outlets. 
Well, you know, and he's coming. He's coming for a lot of criticism. We get criticism for being associated with Chris Walsh, Um, and you know, I always say, "Well, okay, where is it wrong?" And more often than not, the criticism comes from people that say things like, "He's a conspiracy theorist," you know, Um, and I just, well, what the heck, you know? I mean, the facts are the facts. I mean, the ICAC report. Facts, as I said the other day, you know, even if the ICAC um, commissioner was found to have not behaved himself, behaved in a way that was, uh, or behaved in a way that was not becoming of an ICAC commissioner, and I think that criticism has come from a number of quarters, it doesn't change, you know, the factual things in that report. Yeah, and look, there are some things I I accept that uh, are open to question, um, but. In terms of the decisions that were made, they're they're on the record. Yeah, there's there's evidence based for for a lot of the most serious stuff. Like it, it just happened, regardless of the process about how you feel about the ICAC report. That stuff happened, and it's come out, and it it came out through the NT News. Uh, anti-independent reporting as well but but don't get me wrong like i'm going around town criticizing chris behind his back as well i just because this is sort of his podcast i have to say he's really good but he's, gotcha. he's really a he's a really crazy conspiracy theorist and from my memory he was actually running that freedom rally the other day uh, <laughs> yes. i thought i saw him there in the background yeah yeah he was just smoking there yeah that's, that's right <laughs> That's right. with, with, with a glass of uh, Maker's Mark. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it was a jug of Maker's Mark. It was a long round. <laughs> All yeah. right, mate. Well, great to have you on, and uh, we'll catch you again next year. It's my pleasure. Thank you very much. It was very entertaining. That was David Wood on the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. Weekends with Walshie back again next week on the Territory Story Podcast. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to TerritoryStory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.